I'm going to die. Sooner or later, I'm going to die. And there was nothing I can do about it. There's nothing I knew I could do about it. And I didn't ask. I don't remember asking anybody about it. I can't. I can't remember. Did I? I wonder if I did ask anybody. That'd be kind of crazy. I actually should ask my parents if I ever talked to them about death when I was younger. Because I don't remember. So from my perspective is, I don't remember talking to anybody about death, why we die, how we die, what happens after we die. All I know was I went to church. I used to be in a choir, actually. Crazy. Uh, that's all I used to love to sing. But I used to be in a choir, but it's like we, I never got the concept of going to heaven. Because in my head, I'm like, a million people lived before me. You telling me all those souls are in heaven? That's a lot of people. Hello, my kings and queens. It is Jamar Denzel, the Let's Get Real podcast. Today, we have a special segment. I'm going to call it self-therapy. I get asked all the time. You know, if you guys haven't known, if you guys don't know, I'm an advocate for mental health. I believe everybody should seek help if they cannot help themselves. But I believe if you can find a way to help yourself, do that. I started my mental journey. And we're going we're gonna to dwell into that, the, how I started into it. But I started my mental journey. And I completely just talked to myself. I talk to myself every day when I wake up. Throughout the entire day, I talk to myself. Even at night. And sometimes I really like to get deep into what's going on with me mentally. But the most important thing is I ask the question, Why? Why am I going through this and why do I feel it way? So that's what this segment is. This segment is just going to be just me talking to myself. And you guys are hearing how I dissect the traumas, my relationships, just my life in general. So today, the guest for today is no other than myself, Jamar Denzel. How are you doing? Yeah, man, it's, it's great to be here. I'm, I'm excited. It's great to have you on the show. And mm-hmm. I I don't mean to smile. I'm just, everybody knows I'm happy. But to talk, the topic of today, if you guys read the title, is depression. Everybody's been asking us about our depression. And I think it's just time for us to, to, to talk about it, you know? We've been finding reasons to skip through it. You know, we either got a bad hair day because we feel about, oh, I don't look great today. I don't want to be on camera. I don't feel like I look great today, actually. I need to go get a haircut. I haven't got one, but I just want to do it. Because if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. We're never going to do it, right? I don't like the way I look right now. Yes, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. So, the topic of today is depression. So, I want to know when and why our depression started. Mm, that's so good. Let's talk about that. That's a good question. When and why? When and why? So, the earliest I can remember, first we got to talk about who I used to be. When I when I was young, the earliest memory I have of myself is I was I was actually in the Washington Post when I was like five years old for singing. I used to love I still love singing to this day, even though I I let people get to me and I don't think I sound good when I sing, um, because I let people talk to me in my ear. But my earliest memory is me singing at. Um, 
I don't know what it was like a daycare. It was like a recreation center. Uh, when I used to live around 25th Street in Southeast D.C. And I was singing a Michael Jackson song. And I was put in a newspaper. And they asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said I wanted to be a singer. I knew what I wanted to be when I was five years old. I knew I wanted to be a creative. I wanted to be in that type of atmosphere, you know. But I also knew I wanted to be rich, too. So, so I always, always knew that. I always knew I wanted to be rich and famous. At five years old, I knew that. You know, I understood what it meant to be rich and famous. And I was a happy kid. I was very outgoing. I'm, I, I, I am the, I was the person that you guys see today. You know, a very outgoing person, always smiling, always great energy, and just, I was just a great kid, you know. But at the earliest age, I really, I had God in me. I don't really believe in, in organized religion now, so I don't like to say the words, the words God and. You know, give it names. You know, I don't like giving it names. I'm more of a spiritualist in, in my life at this point. But I always knew I was him. I always knew that I had part of the universe in me. It was so bad that I legit, I used to look at life like a video game. If you ever play, if you ever play San Andreas back in the day when graphics weren't that good. And as you would drive on the map of San Andreas, you know, the world would pop up as you drove. That's how I envisioned the world. I envisioned the world that nothing else exists until I saw it. So like I'm here in this room right now. Nothing else exists in the world. I don't any China right now is trying to take over with U.S. current. But that didn't exist to me at five. You know, only thing that mattered was what was going on with me in my life at that moment. That's all that mattered to me. And I held to that really dearly until I was about 10 years old and I went to my first funeral. My first funeral was with my great grandfather. He died when I was 10 years old. I was 10 or 11. I'm not sure which age. I know between the ages of 9 to 11. And that was the first friend where I attended. And it's crazy because I had that memory locked in my head. When I was younger, before I stopped learning and things like that, we'll get into that later. I used to have a really good photographic memory. So I always take a picture of an event and I save it in my head. So I always have a picture of me standing at my grandfather's gravesite. And it's kind of crazy that my great grandmother just died. His his wife just died a couple of weeks ago. We went to go bury her, and when we went to her cemetery plot, it was a, she's buried right next to my grandfather. And when we arrived, I recognized it instantly, and all those feelings started coming back to me. And in that moment, when I was younger, that was the first time I knew what death was. That was the first time I saw somebody get buried in the ground, and I was able to witness everybody. But at that moment, what I took from that was, I'm going to die. Sooner or later, I'm going to die. And there was nothing I could do about it. There's nothing I knew I could do about it. And I didn't ask. I don't remember asking anybody about it. I can't. I can't remember. Did I? I wonder if I did ask anybody. That'd be kind of crazy. I actually should ask my parents. If I ever talked to them about death when I was younger, because I don't remember. So from my perspective is I don't remember talking to anybody about death, why we die, how we die, what happens after we die. All I knew was I went to church. I used to be in a choir, actually. Crazy. Uh, that's how I used to love to sing. But I used to be in a choir, but it's like we, I never got the concept of going to heaven. Because in my head, I'm like, 
a million people live before me. You telling me all those souls are in heaven? That's a lot of people. It's just that I couldn't just fathom it. I was like, we all in the same spot? Like, the same thing as Earth? The crazy thing that I went to was when you die, it's like going to sleep. You just go into complete blackness. And that's how I looked at it. I looked at it as you go into complete blackness and there's nothing there. You're just all alone and all you got is your thoughts. And in my moment and in my time at a ten, as a 10-year-old child, I was like, what's the purpose of even continue to do anything? Why well, strive for being great? Because at that moment, I told you I wanted to be great. I knew I was going to be rich. And I was going to be famous. I was going to be a singer. I was supposed to be the next Michael Jackson. You know, that's what, that's what I wanted to be when I was 10. But once I attended that funeral, I couldn't get past it. And it kind of got really dark after that. I started to distance myself from my family. I stopped going to like Christmas, Thanksgiving, stuff like that. I just stopped going to those things because I didn't want to be around people. Because I just, I just couldn't get past that, that concept of death. And then it just got, it just kept getting worse after that. You know, after that, I broke my arm because I planned on the jungle. I used to be afraid. I, I was never afraid. I'm afraid of heights now. And I wasn't ever afraid of heights until I was like maybe 12 or something. That's when I broke my, I broke my, my collarbone. And I became afraid of heights after that. And, um, and that's when I realized I can hurt myself. And I was like, shit, I can really die. I got to be careful. And that's when I started putting fear in my own head. Because I was like, I can't do these crazy things that I want to do. Like now, I do crazy things now because I'm fearless at the moment. Like I drive 120 miles an hour on the road, no kick. <laughs> but I, I stopped doing a lot of crazy things because I was afraid to get hurt and I was afraid to die. And that started to hold me back. And uh, it just kept getting worse because then like, you realize you black in America. It's like, shit, I'm a black man in America. It ain't great for us, you know? It's tough for us, you know, that I'm growing up and my uncles and my brothers, we can't talk about our feelings, you know? We can't show weakness or things like that. That's how you grow up. My older brother actually still does that to my to my nephew to this day. I kind of would, I want him to see this actually because he does it and it bothers me when he does it. Cause like he would yell at him. He doesn't need to yell at him. Just need to talk to him, you know. Um, and that's why I'm really calm with them when I deal with my nieces and nephews. I try to get them something different that their parents don't give them. But that's because my brother has his own trauma. He hasn't dealt with, you know. He don't know how to deal with that with another child. But um, it's crazy. So yeah, I figure I'm a black man in America, and then, and then my own mother used to. She would joke about it, you know. You know how people joke, but it's a little truth to it. She was thought, and she's, and now I realize she says it to other people. I realize it now that she does say it to other people, but I really took it to heart when she used to say it to me because she used to say, I, I, I know I can recount on multiple occasions she has said to me as a joke. Like, I'm joking with my mom's like, hey, mom, something, something, and she'll come back and say, well, that's why you're my ugliest child. And that shit really got to me, and I started to think, am I her ugliest child? Because then growing up, girls used to love my, my brothers more than they loved me. You know, like my little brother was the cute brother. My oldest brother was the hood street guy. And I was a smart one. You know, that's all I had was I was the smart one. I was the one that was always going to do great things. But I wasn't the handsome one growing up. So that that lowered my self-esteem growing up. And all that trauma started building on to me. And I had nobody to talk to. My father wasn't there. My father only showed up when he wanted to stroke his own ego. To feel like he was a good father. That's the only time I felt like he came around. I, my uncle actually raised me, but my uncle wasn't a talker. You know, we just did things together. And so all that trauma just built on. So that was the when I was 10. And the why was all this stuff just start coming on to me and I didn't know how to deal with it. 
So it's it's crazy to hear all, all that stuff, all that trauma and all those things that we've gone through. But as we know, the grass is always green on the other side. There's always so there's always there's so many sayings, but everybody goes through shit, you know. We're not the only ones that go through anything. There's people lives a lot worse than ours. Like we live in America. So our life isn't that bad. You know, like we live with a house with great plumbing. There's not a war is going on, not here on our homeland. You know, so it's not a lot for us to be about. But people do go through things, you know. And thank you for sharing what we what we had gone through. So the next part of it is how. How do you battle it? How do you go through every single day and get past all that trauma? How how do you deal with that? Because that's what that's what people really want to know. So that's a great question. The question is, how did I battle depression? How did I get through it? So I'm I constantly go through depression still. I just got out of depression season. I usually get depressed every year around November. My birthday is November 24th. But my little brother, not really my He's not my blood brother, but he was like my our adoptive brother because my mom raised him since he was like a couple of months old. Um, it was one of her boyfriends. And we raised him. He was a couple of months old up until he was 14 years old. And when he was 14, he committed suicide. He was 13, actually. He was going on to 14. He was 13. He committed suicide. And to me, I was already contemplating suicide before then. Like I've always done. I, I I never committed to it, but I used to play around with knives and think about it, you know. But he actually went and did it. He hung himself in our backyard. And at that moment, that night, I remember it when it happened. And I had a chance to, after, like, dealing with my mom, making sure she was good and my brothers was good because my brothers actually found his body. But after, after going through all that, I remember it being late at night. I cried. Like, I leaned over my bed and I cried, like, like I don't know for how long. And my brothers actually came in and that was the first time I think they hugged me in a while, actually, at that moment. Cause they saw me hurt. And but in that moment, I kind of realized that I loved my adopted brother. He was my adopted brother, but he was like the close I was closer to him than I was with my blood brothers. Cause I, I didn't know how to interact with my blood brothers. Cause like they was they hung out on the streets. We grew up in Southeast DC. And like I said, I was fearful. I didn't want to die. So I didn't hang out in the streets a lot. I was more to reading books because books was a way to escape all the crazy crap that was happening in the world so that's why i was a reader because it, it helped me to escape so that's that is kind of one of my house I, i'm kind of realizing now just saying it that was how i dealt with it as a child and that i guess that helped me not committed actually because i was able to escape through books and playing video games because video games was another outlet for me to go somewhere else that's why people do drugs people do drugs to go somewhere else but instead of doing drugs, that's what I did. But in that moment when he died and I cried, I realized I loved him. And I realized that he had a lot of darkness in him too. Because when he died, after the fact, we learned he was failing every single class in his grade. He was failing every single class. We didn't know that until after the fact. The school never contacted us or anything. So he was failing every single class. And since he was failing every single class, he was a basketball star. But since he was failing every single class, they was kicking him off the basketball team because he couldn't complete. He couldn't keep playing basketball because he wasn't a Paxson athlete. So he was hurting through that. And then apparently a couple of days before he did it, his girlfriend had broke up with him. He's only 13. 
So he was going through all that stuff, and he didn't feel the need to talk about it to anybody. And I remember the night before he did it, because he had got in trouble at school. The school called his his father. His father took his PlayStation away from him. And I remember him being hurt that night. But I told him I was going to go to the school myself. I said, if you got, he told me, and that's when he finally talked to me. He told me he was having problems with uh, his teachers. And I'm like, I was like 21 at the time. So I was like, if you need, I would go down there and talk to him myself. If your father don't got the time, because he was working three jobs, his father was working three jobs. And that's another thing I like. Realizing that, like his father, his father was never there. His father worked. We only saw his father between the hours of one to four o'clock, because that's that's his father would come home at twelve, go to sleep between one and leave at four, and I would wake up every morning at four o'clock. That's the reason why I'm an early bird now and I don't sleep, because I would wake up at four to go to school, because I, I had to go to school for Southeast and Northeast. But I was rambling. But uh, in that moment, I learned that I loved him, and that he was going through his own problems. Whereas I didn't see it that way because he was a cute little light-skinned boy that was that was good at basketball. So what did he have problems, you know? But he did. And I thought to myself, if he had problems, I got problems, everybody got problems. And something just clicked in me. It was just like, I don't need to wallow on this. I can do a lot better for myself. And that's when I started to slowly realize that I was holding myself back. I was being fearful. Everything that was wrong in my life was because I was allowing it to be wrong. You know, I gained weight without realizing it. By that moment, I probably was, I don't know how old, I don't know how big I was. I just remember he died in 2013 and I had lost like 90 pounds by, I want to say like June of next year. I went, I was down to like maybe 290. But when I got on a scale for the first time around like, I want to say February or March of 2014, I was at like a 380. So I don't know what my biggest was. I probably was bigger than that. But I know when I finally got on the scale, and I had already been working out. So I'm pretty sure I was a lot heavier. So, but my biggest that I can recollect was 380. And I got down from 380 to 290 after he died. And like, I, I just clicked in me. I just didn't want to be that guy anymore. I wanted to be better for him. I wanted to live a life for him. So that's the how, how was I was motivated by him just to keep going. And then after a while, I fell in love with photography, and photography changed my life. And I read, I learned, I read from a scientist one day. He said most people manifest things when they fall in love. When you fall in love with a person or a thing, you usually start manifesting things inside your life. So I think that's what I did. And still to this day, like I said, I just got got out of a depression area. Like I get sad every time that comes around. I really don't like celebrating my birthday at all. But so now, when I feel like a, a trigger is coming on, like. Like if uh, like being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur is hard. You know, one moment I can have like ten thousand dollars in my account, I can have fifty thousand dollars in my account. Then one week I can have like fifty bucks in my account. Just that's just the life of an entrepreneur. And so sometimes I can get down in that moment, but always come to the moment, always come to the recollection is this is not who I am. This is not who I want to be. What do I need to do to become that person again? Most of the time it's just working out. Most of the time it's creating a plan. Most of the time, it's just writing down the things that I want to achieve in my life. So that's how I continue to battle my depression. You got to do it every single day. You got to wake up. You got to do your Issa Rae and just look in the mirror and just say, you are an amazing person and, and just keep pushing. So now we know when, why, and how we battle our depression. So I guess the next thing is, what's next for us? What's next for us and our battle against depression? What's next for us? 
in the battle in the help to help others battle their depression. What can we do as a person to contribute to the world to help others? And not even hope but just to, just continue to hope ourselves. What's next? Next. So what's next for me is to continue with my battle of depression. Um the biggest thing I know holding me back right now is just my weight. Still. It's still just my weight. Uh I want to get down to like two hundred. Yeah, I hate, you know, everybody say Jamari looks great. Of course I know I look great, but I can know I can look better. I wanna I wanna look the way I wanna look. So it's just uh I still got a lot more to do with my weight loss. So just continue to go to the gym every day. And going to the gym really just holds me mentally because it gives me a chance to like block everything out from the world. Um continuing with my business because staying busy helps me out a lot. Staying busy and having goals for myself. You know? So like last year my goal was to make hundred K. I did that. This year the goal is to make three hundred K. Uh this do you know, have this studio space. So creating goals is what's next. Um I also want to create a nonprofit where I give back to the community do like you know do, do drives and stuff and i want to have a mentor program um for young boys and girls that i can be a part of and teach another teach other people how to be creative like either through photography or through videography um and just being a mental health advocate if if i can just go around and just preaching my story and how i battled it that'd that'd be great for me so i think that's what's next and I'm just keep pushing. I, I I'm pretty sure a lot's gonna happen. I'm not I'm not sure what's gonna happen. Going through all that, but it's gonna be a fun journey. And I can't wait for everybody to see the journey and follow us on this journey. And I just wanna thank myself for putting myself on this on the show. Yeah. I can I can't wait to see all that stuff. I can't wait to go through all of that. So that's I'm gonna end the show here. We're going to talk about something else the next time we decide to get together and and really dwell into our lives. I hope you guys really enjoyed this segment. If you guys really did enjoy it, let's start a dialogue in the comment section. I want to hear you guys talk about your battles with depression. If you need help, you can DM me, um, write me, email me, whatever. It's a serious thing, depression. But in all, all in all honesty, for myself, I honestly believe depression is good. It's not good. You don't want to go through depression. But once you realize you're depressed, once you realize your triggers of depression, that's that's good. Once you realize it, because once you realize it, you can start taking steps to figure out how to get past it. As I said earlier, you you have to see the trigger warnings. And you really have to sit down with yourself and say, why do I feel this way? And the reason why you feel that way is because something triggered that. And then you have to figure out if you can eliminate those triggers out of your life. And so that's what self-therapy is. And I hope you guys enjoyed the show. This is Jamar Denzel, and I'm going to see you guys next time.